Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode was focused on Web3 uh, distributed identifiers or DIDs. The spec came out for these uh, from the W3C and started to identify how we can actually handle distributing identity, which is not just about people and uh, personal identity, but also about things and how do we identify and track different things in a distributed way without a centralized infrastructure. And that's fundamental to what Web3 is talking about. How do we break down the centralization that we have been building over the last 15 years of what Web3 people call Web2 and looking at ways to be able to do it in a decentralized way where the trust is between the parties involved or in a, it's set up in a way that you don't have to have a centralized trust authority. And we spend a lot of time talking about this, about what the spec is, what it means, and then looking at it in a broader context. So if Web3 is of interest to you and distributed IDs are intriguing, this is a excellent place to start. And I know you will enjoy the conversation. Thanks. Good morning. Did you all hear the big news? Which big news? James? Which big news? <laughs> um, Web3 just got a little bit actually real. Uh, the W3C released the recommendation on the decentralized ID. So I put a link in a tweet. Huh. And this is significant in many, many ways because it really... Um, addresses the issue of identity for a person, place, thing, object, file, whatever you want to use, and allows it to be uh, self-sovereign as well as have cryptography embedded. Hmm. So this is one of several that have been ongoing. Yeah, I have a bit of something to do with it, but I'm not one of the domain authors. And what is good about this is, yeah, I, I am to other things, but irrespective, this DID actually gives you um, use cases, scenarios, and examples. And it's one of about 12 different specifications that are all reaching the same level for Web3, for decentralization. So no centralized authority required for URLs or URIs. Interesting. And, and um, that takes us a giant step forward. How do you, mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I may be missing one thing. The With the decentralized ID, how, um, how does that get incorporated into things like uh, KYC and kind of verification of identity? Well, the very, that's exactly why I brought it up, because the verification of identity no longer has to be a central authority. You can actually be a corporate authority and be self-sovereign and tie that to something like a DNB or a government agency that record, records the information of the corporation. Mm -hmm. There are several other parts to this. But this is the one that makes the biggest difference because it also includes a bridge to URI, URL without necessarily having the encryption. So you don't have to wait for you know, the next Firefox or the next Chrome or the next whatever. You can start using this right away. And there are syntaxes and use cases. It's all on GitHub and downloadable as well as the uh, references to all of the related specifications. So think about this in Rob's case, and then I'll talk about smart contracts in a second. But in Rob's case, all of your IAC code could actually be identified and signed without it having to go to a third party signer. Uh, and be highly yeah. distributed. I see what you're saying, yes. So from my perspective, it goes from any device to any routing, to any 
command line, to an IDE, to a pipeline of data, to any object that you want to refer to, my fridge, my stove, whatever. Um, and this now puts, in the case of smart contract, Rich, sorry, Lawrence, let me, let me just finish the thought, please. Um, for a smart contract, it actually means that you could self-sovereignly govern the code in the smart contract, but make it reusable in ways that you couldn't before because you could tie derivative work to the original. To read the original of the contract? In a smart contract. Yeah, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to read this and get my head around this one. Um I, I understand. I, it yeah, it, it's interesting. It's a long in document. The, I'm just very excited because yeah, to me this see. just made web three real. Interesting. Um I like it. Uh if it it does what it says on the tin. Mm -hmm. The thing that I like about it is the the notion of um, at least I don't know about guaranteeing, but at least making possible the identity or the the ver verification of code that's being used in um, packages and and the like. Yes. It, it so just for its again i'm not sure i get the entire drift of this but um if i were using it as the basis for packages and distribution from package management to you know in open source and the like um mm -hmm. that that potentially goes a long way to um, preventing one of the ways in which the um, software supply chain has been um, manipulated and, and made use of by the bad bad guys for distribution. So it's a it's a software supply chain the, the potential for addressing misuse in the in the software supply chain is is pretty interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it's also really interesting when you think about how you would port your identity and only reveal what you want to reveal in a public venue uh, of your identity because you're self-sovereign and use that to go from point A to point B within the metaverse. Hmm. Or across different blockchains. It, I guess... I have two questions. Um, maybe one's a statement, one's a question. Statement first. Um, I, I, I see a value of having an, a way to say, I have an identity and, you know, you can, you can use that identity to validate who I am. We, we have this issue all the time where we end up relying on an email or a loop back or something like that. It'd be great to be able to say, yeah, this is, this is my identity. You're, I'm a person here, but I, I haven't revealed anything about it, but, I, but I'm a person with some, some level of trustworthy. Um, right. That would be great. We don't, we don't have anything like that today. And it's super frustrating um, to engage with things where it's like, I'm a person, but I don't want to tell you much about myself at the moment. I want to build a relationship with you. Um, and then sort of allow you allow you to have increasing levels of engagement or sharing. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what this allows you to do. Okay. How is it different than PGP? Like we have things like PGP keys, which don't carry a lot of identity. They're just they're just a way to they're basically like, yes, this is the the person that they said they were. Um, yeah. Um, because you can use more sophisticated cryptography, number one. Uh, mm -hmm. Number two, people tend to, I mean, PGP is not all that secure from my perspective. I've, I've used it before. I've used PKI. I've used a number of different methodologies, but um, I've never found PGP to be all that 
useful. The thing that I find to your point, to your statement is that's so relevant is that's exactly what you can do. You can increase, you can share the basic, basic, basic. This is, I am who I say I am kind of thing and, and have it verified either self-sovereign or in a decentralized manner without a central repository keeping track. But then you can start adding little pieces, snippets of information, which means that you can monetize your attribution if you're an artist without it necessarily being a token. You can use it for blockchain without it necessarily having crypto associated with it. This is where it's I almost see like the an inverse, GD, inverse GDPR. <laughs> That's right. GDPR yes. is all structured to say you're you're sharing information without my consent. And I, I, I we need desperately a way to say, you know, I can, I'm, I am a person, I am a legitimate entity, um, but I don't want to share all of that information. The challenge is if you have this, then at, at some point your identity is, you know, if they're unique identity keys, what, there's nothing that's going to stop all these companies from sharing this identity key and building a profile of you up, up outside of your, your consent. Well, because it has encryption built in, you can keep the private key and not allow them to do that. Right. I mean, it's, but this is the same thing with blockchain being like everybody loves to talk about blockchain or the press likes to talk about blockchain being anonymous. Um, and um, it's not right. It's, it's only anonymous because you can create any wallet you want. But once you start transacting with that wallet, every transaction you have is uh, both. Say that again slowly. Every, every sorry, I, I'm, I'm uh, Joanne. You're you're replying to me directly. Lawrence is asking oh, questions in the back channel. <laughs> That's why I said both. I'm reading and, and talking. <laughs> oh my brain. Um, no, the, the, right now one of the things about. Uh, Crypto is because you're dealing with a wallet and that's an immutable ID that's public. Your transactions are public. Right. People, people think that crypto is more private. It's, it's not. It's, it's actually much more traceable than, than, than other transactions. Um, and yes. this would be the same thing. If you're interacting with this ID, you're going to be, you're, you're, you're actually more traceable across the internet um, as you're using a common ID. Well, it common is is common is not something that I would necessarily say is true in this new spec because of the uh, there's four parts that have to be um, uh, what's the word? Hang on, I'm thinking. Oh, this, is a, this is a real idea. spec. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. This, this is a real deal. Uh, thing and the models that go with it and the use cases that go with it, but the parameters, there's four of them. One is decentralization. One is uh, the ability to be encrypted. Um, so you could take the same piece raw information of, of uh, around the DID, the identity, change the encryption key and make it unique. So common is, that's why common kind of threw me for a second, because I don't see that as being common. I see um, the ability to make things unique in a way that they can't be made unique now. Mm -hmm. Doesn't, but I mean, if you were, every time you create one of these IDs, and, and I mm -hmm. right, obviously have done <laughs> no research. No, um, you're 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 basically publishing that that the ID into a, a public chain in order for it to be verified and referenced, right, and then shared. Basically, I mean, it's a shared. It's, it's the no, decentralized. It, it, okay. Yeah, it's designed for decentralized and highly distributed computing. So my node in my, my nodem, call it my IoT device, could be unique. 
and also untraceable because as a self-governing, self-sovereign device ID, I could keep that completely private using the encryption that becomes part of what we would now consider the URI. Well, wait, it's private in the fact that it's encrypted, but the data that's encrypted is public. This is where my head explodes on all, on a lot of web stuff because we're counting on encryption to keep data protected. We're sharing data, we're sharing encrypted information and then hoping that the counting on that the encryption holds so that that data is not otherwise available, uh-huh. right? Yeah, yeah, but what if I restrict the use of the public key part of that encryption, just for, for ease of discussion, call it the public key, and I restrict that only to the entity with whom I choose to share it. So let's assume, for example, that I use a form of encryption that allows multiple public keys, but only one private. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So I could give each of the three of you uh, a single public key without the other two ever seeing it. Okay. So it's hardly a, it's not, well, it's public uh, in a different way. It's in other words, it's to be used by the correspondent or communicant. Um, now, if I turn that key over to, if I turn the key that you gave to me and revealed it to Rob, what would that do for you or not work for you? How would that, how would that break this kind of um, issue of kind of locking in could re- the communication? I could revoke both. Right. I could restrict the use case of the key I give you, Rich, not being reusable. Okay, one time. Or shareable. Not shareable. But, I mean, if those, this is where my, my, my understanding of Web3 is is not complete enough, but those public keys, how did you share them? Did you give them to the party or did you, you you're going to have to give them directly to the party that they want, or are you going to, does that become part of a, a public chain somewhere? Depending on encrypted how with I would... their public key, <laughs> you're going to send yeah. them your public key encrypted with your public key and put that on the, on their, in their smart, in a smart contract tied between I mean, this this is it's 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 convoluted, but it has to be to be a distributed trusted system. So what we're what we're saying is, I have a relationship with you and Rich, and I want you both to be able to write encrypted data to me. So I'm giving you each a public key. I'm going to have a relationship with you that's part of a smart contract that we put into a shared infrastructure into a shared contract. All of this has got to be public. So for that to work. I have to encrypt my public key with your public key, true public key, into the contract so that you can decrypt it. And then both of you can decrypt your own keys. And then all that gets shared because it has to be in a decentralized way and signed by the community. And then now everybody has the information we need to then have the the relationship progress. Joanne? Right. The community is only the three of us. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't work from a distributed contract perspective. Doesn't doesn't it require that we have to then take that encrypted contract, right, which only we can read, in and and share it into a public chain so that it gets no. published? No, that's all right. There are private chains, Rob. Okay. A, you don't have to use a blockchain to do this. And B, right. okay. there are private chains. Ah, okay, good. All right, now it's helping. Um, my assumption, my assumption on the web three stuff is there's always a chain somewhere, and maybe that's uh, yeah. I, I that really that's the that's the assuming this all you know kind of can be made to be a little bit more 
um, apparent or a little bit more usable. I can see how this works exceptionally well with one-to-one -one relationships. I get a little bit goofy about group sharing because it's as as a community of as a community of use, Joanne. Um, yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how you have a shared. Well, actually, that's a question. Can we as it, it, if the four of us were to create a group? Can we assign that group an identity? Yes. Does this all become kind of um, kind of routed through that identity, or potentially? You could use a you could use a different spec for the actual routing amongst the four of us, right. but the definition of community. And, and let me say this, and I don't mean to sound disrespectful at all, but lose the Web2 view, which is a platform, a single platform for many, many, many people, and look at a platform that you can assign the individuals to, or you can say right. the platform that we're talking about is only this small group. Yes, that was, right? With that, different was my assumption. that was my assumption yeah. when I asked the question. Yeah, with, with different oh. parameters assigned to each one of the group members. So roles, let's say. Right. Well, roles or, permissions. Or, roles or some sort of a policy-based, could be policy-based, yeah. could be defined in the smart contract amongst us. Okay. Would that right. have to be um, in the situation I'm, I just kind of posed, does a correspondent with this group potentially need to have a visibility into at least some part of that smart contract that that establishes us as a as a four-person group operating in in a you know as a unit of some sort? In other words, somebody outside of our group um yep. were they to correspond with transact with this four person group wouldn't they need to know or would it be our job to decide what it gets revealed to the outside world about who has responsibility for i don't know vetting a vetting a a request of some sort how much? Okay. How much, so, how much, so let me. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I'm. I'm looking at the answer to that question. I'm, I'm, and I'm thinking. I, I, and I, I apologize because I'm kind of thinking on out loud here. So that's, yeah. So depending on the structure of the organization, if it's a DAO, that's one one set of organizational structures. If it's not a DAO, where you know, it's a decentralized autonomous organization and everybody has a vote. There are voting specs around this. Um, remember mm -hmm. that I also said that there are other specifications that go hand in hand with all of this. But this is the one that I've been waiting to see reach the recommendation status, because to me, it's one of the fundamentals of making this sucker work mm -hmm. yeah, around identity. True. So, pardon my, you know, exuberance over it, but hey, they all have to kind of. I love your exuberance. We like, we like exuberance, Joanne. We like exuberance. Well, I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> I'm glad I can still be and, exuberant and, to that and, technology. At and this and point. just from from a logistics perspective, my 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 thought is, I would love to keep talking about this, um, and then just push push back the topic of the day, which was career advice. Um, oh. <laughs> and so, no, that's fine. This is I, what I like about the group is not 
being beholden to, you know, an agenda, but take, take a topic of the day like this and then strive to understand it. And to me, this is, you know, I, there's, there's clearly there, there on the web three stuff. And I, I think it's, it's exciting and solve some systemic problems. I, I still have a huge amount of time figuring out the on-ramps. And, and I think you're right. This is an on-ramp. Um, this is a, a huge on-ramp. Why? You look at the authors and the editors, they all have companies that are commercializing these standards, typically. <laughs> and so <laughs> there is a big problem. Where are the rest of the the, the community, the tech community? There's, there's, I guess they can say on where the standards and the specs are going on. There's a lot of compete, com competing. I just went and looked. So Tim Berners-Lee had a startup in the field. I had, this yeah. looks like his startup's not, doesn't actually use these specs. I don't know. I was my quick look while we were talking. So like, there's a lot going on here and we just have to be very careful. I know for a lot of the identity issues, dealing with the uh, the, uh, the names for web for not websites for web three sites and identities. There's a huge commercialization, and that the A16Z whatever lobbying campaign in the government <laughs> is totally had proposed a new internet society ISOC whatever it's called ISOC whatever it's got basically to basically. So that, that they'll have huge voting rights in this. It's huge issues here. And um, well, so, so mostly I'm just saying that my main concern is I looked at the at who was creating the, the standards, the specs, and they had very they have the commercial interest in this. Okay, I hear your I hear your point. I don't disagree with you. However, I would tell you that there are a lot of people like me in the world who participate in writing these standards and specs through other organizations that filter their way up into the W3C. Now, those that I have been a, a responsible for domain authorship within the W3C, I completely agree. But if you don't start with people who have an interest, a vested interest or otherwise, to get a standard to move forward, which then gets voted on by all of the W3C, not just the, the committee, then you get nowhere fast. And some of the specs that I've been involved in have taken 24 months. I mean, if I have a secret sauce as, a, as an analyst, it's because I participate in writing these damn standards. So I know what's coming down the pike. And, and I can tell my clients, hey, if I'm writing the model, I can sort of tell you what's going to be in it so you can sort of have a, an 18-month window to be able to either onboard, not onboard, or build a new product that can be released with that specification already built in. And so, you're shaking your pad and your finger, and I understand that. I was just saying, so my problem was not a systematic problem. It was okay. a flag, say, let's ask I'm going to ask a couple questions because I have not looked at this in six to 12 months. Right. You've been, I was aware of the process and I didn't, and I read a significant part of it a long time ago. And yeah. So I don't know what changes have been made and I, and I don't, and I don't have a big detailed knowledge of the, of the competing specs, standards and specs. So, that's all I'm, that's the only slowdown I, I'm saying. I, sure. I mean, I, I also know that this, the, this is also a great venue it has, this is legitimacy, it's international scope. Um, and there's a lot of other, so there's a lot, many, many good things. And in terms of, so um, there's lots of positive things. Mm -hmm. I, sure. I wasn't trying to throw cold water 100%. I just wanted to, <laughs> I was just asking questions. No, no. 
Joanne? No, Lawrence, I can mm-hmm. hang on one sec. I, I completely agree with you. I didn't mean to sound, you know, like I was jumping down your throat. If I did, I apologize. But I've been doing this for 25 years. And so I look at these things and what excites me about them is not only within the W3C itself, but all the organizations that get represented there is that the one thing that always happens is there's a small group. Yes, people say you have a financial interest or a vested interest. But what I love about the W3C, as many other organizations, is they always give a time for public comment. And they do take that stuff literally. Like if if a whole group stands up and says, Google shouldn't be participating here, or Microsoft shouldn't be participating here, or whatever, whatever, uh, and I'm just throwing names of companies, they actually do, you know, go back to revision say, bless you, Rob. I don't know the exact words. This is actually for the conversation. I know that one common, the next step for having, once you have a spec is to have a, let's say a, a model use case, a model example of it being used in the field. Is that, that people can- There's a test, it? yeah. There's 92 of them in the test suite. Okay, perfect. And then, and so I would look at that. And so the different companies that are trying, some of the companies that might be interested in commercializing this would have have uh, examples in the test suite, correct? Yeah, yeah, they would have examples. And then there's, um, I'm trying to get a program started at Georgia Tech to be able to use this in their lab and have them run it on things like IIoT devices, where you can actually use the naming convention of different sensors or different pieces of equipment. And the reason for doing that is not because there's hundreds of millions of them and it's gonna be a quagmire, it's to begin to classify them for predictive vulnerabilities. So it's vulnerability testing in shop floor equipment. Because right now manufacturing is the number one target on every uh, of every hacker in the world. Um, it's been you know low key for so long. People think that they can work their way into network systems of large enterprise going through the shop floor equipment. There are vulnerabilities. There's 56 of them highlighted in Icefall. So I look at something like this and I go, I see many, many types of applications for it. And that's what gets me exuberant and excited. But um, as I said, there are other standards and specs that go along with it. Take a look at the test suite, take a look at the parameters and where they become uh, interesting around self-sovereignty, around what they must and must not do and how these could be orchestrated and leveraged. In other words, the composability aspect. The composability aspect is important because basically there's going to be a lot of other standards and how do they interact with those standards so they can scale out and grow in the long term? Is this a, something that's going to last? Is, yeah. uh, so um, the question for the group, that's related to what you were just saying, was thinking about is when I've been looking at Web3, so I've, I've, I've looked at Web3 in the context of assessing open source communities and software community health. And it's been pretty hard because um, the more people actually start developing using Web3, the more they say they're, going, they're leaving GitHub. And GitLab and other um, uh, forges, um, and but mostly that what, what I found is that they're actually not leaving it right now, in the most part. Um, I'm sorry, Lawrence. What? So, so I'm, I'm not. I'm not following you. What are they not doing? They're not leaving, even though they're saying they're developing on Web three. On the most part, they're still developing. Uh, GitLab and then pushing everything into a <laughs> decentralized infrastructure. So Radical, which is a, basically said that they had a platform to develop on Web3, but most of their infrastructure is still on GitHub. They don't have uh, a lot of choice. They, I mean, it, it, 
we're going to have to build Web3 on the back of Web2, just like servers are still there in cloud. But, um, so, and, but sorry. So, but this is related to like what we were talking about in, the, in this sense, in that, and in the sense that, are you, so when I'm trying to track usage of Web3, and uh, am, I, am, I, am I tracking the usage of the servers that are serving the Web3 infrastructure, for example? Or am I, or am I, am I looking at the identity, those identities or the identities uh, on Web3? Mm-hmm. I would rather look at the, the identities on Web3. If, so I'm very interested in WebAssembly right now. And so I want to look at like the workloads. Web WebAssembly is huge in Web three, okay. and basically, basically, seriously. Um, okay, I, I, I believe you. It just seems like like the the at the tower of new 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 is is high. Well, yes. it was it started it started there. A lot of it's been basically it's the same people are doing a lot of the development. It's, okay, it's basically it's, you don't have to learn new ways to program. You just as you you assemble the same language. So you don't have to learn the new language, you're assembling it in that environment. It, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and, but I'm not gonna, we'll talk about web assembly that, 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 I we didn't want to bring that in. I would, um, I would love to have a, maybe I should add a section on web assembly, but I'd, I'd want you here for doing that. So um, uh, if you ping I, me later, and ping, ping me later and we can set up a session on web assembly. Yeah, I'd love to talk about it. Um, but the point being is that those identities, how do you, so how do I assess the identities, apples, apples, identities in Web3 versus identities in the real world? Is in some ways, I think that they're, you want to compare apples to apples, especially if you're looking at storage, for example. What's the storage being used on Web3 versus otherwise? In Cloudflare, for example, a lot of the Cloudflare and other um, things, they're using the storage and compute even on Web3, but it's just like being mirrored and you can't see what's happening anymore. So there's a lot of issues where there's a lot of things that are being hidden. So how do you, so in terms of standards, I'm talking very vaguely, but I'm just saying I, there's, but at least I don't, have the tools to be able to compare, to take what I know is similar entities, similar types of artifacts, and compare them with each other. Uh, that's my almost. My, but, my, I mean, isn't that issue. almost by definition? Web Web three is is going to be hard to create an aggregated statistic on. Um, um, there's no central issuing authority. This is. Oh, yeah. Uh, Thank you. Discover metadata about the identifier, but you you might, I mean, in this, in the the DID space, you might be using a shared identifier that nobody else knows about. That's that a part of this idea here is that we could have a group where we're all using a shared identifier. I guess when I talked about it first, I was thinking about it as a, as a, centralized identifier where everybody you'd be able to verify somebody's identity um without having a, a like talk to it i guess and that's perfectly reasonable too well so there is a oh. for a lot of entities there's uh there's reason to reveal your identity um and i forgot what the what the what the site or the um app is but for in terms of governance for voting for let's say DAOs or for different types of um, projects, it you you can see who has the major voting rights for these for these projects and DAOs, and that's in their in your interest to reveal it. So you can see that these who has who has majority voting in X Y Z project. So and that's. That's happening right now. So right there, that's the case where, and if you want more people to use the word invest in your, or support your project, or 
then you'll you'll make it so that it's easy to identify who your your identity. It's the same thing with the why it's, there's, there's a choice. It's uh, do you trust somebody who will um, who doesn't tell you their name? Um, will you trust somebody who um, I don't on Twitter or in social media? Why don't they have their face online? Why aren't they telling me who they are? I'm I'm gonna choose not to engage with them because I don't trust them. Well, you know, when it comes to the voting rights, to your point, I I agree with you that within a DAO, you can see who has more stake in the game, regardless of what that stake may be, could be contributions, it could be money, it could be a number of different things. Um, And so therefore they may have more power. But I think there's also rules of the game in DAO that mitigate um, power or control being taken by one person or one group. But I look at this from the point of view of if I were to create an ecosystem as an enterprise and bring in my most trusted suppliers and my most trusted customers to be able to jointly innovate, this gives me the opportunity to set up a centralized, a decentralized hub or set of hubs that allow me to do exactly that and restrict the and control the power of any single entity within that ecosystem to make it equitable. It gives you the power to do that because it gives you a framework that makes it easy to do that. Yes. Yes. And it starts with the identification of the individuals, but the bridging to web two, which I view as a one for all and web three as an all for one, because all the people who are interested will go to a single place, not be forced to do one. It's it's kind of more the, the extension of one to many and many to one kind of relationships. So I think that there are controls. And again, I reiterate that there are multiple other standards that go along with this, but this yeah. one is a critical piece because I could even see naming my infrastructure. I think that was being uniformly identifiable only to me to start to prevent some of the attack surfaces. I think individual. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. What you said is I don't necessarily agree with your web two versus web three comparison. Okay. But I agree with your statement that this uh, spec can be used to achieve the goals that you just uh, mentioned or described. My, what I, and I think that for me, it's, it's all about the implementation and that the gov- people, there's still a possibility that the same outcome of what happened in Web 2.0 can happen in Web 3.0, even if these, this type of spec is, is created. It's more about how the, there's so many other uh, factors that go involved. I think that the uh, so much of Internet 1.0 um, standards and yep. uh, was created for distributed networks and decentralized networks, and it, it just humans and people didn't take it the way that it could have gone. So that's all. I, so I'm just being realistic in terms of I, I and. And I, and I, so like when, again, the A16Z people put out this huge report, I think it was two months ago, six, six weeks ago, 
comparing the 1.0, 2.0 to 3.0. And I think you, you probably saw the report. I was very yeah. skeptical and I wrote, I wrote up a, a tweet storm critiquing it because it didn't actually have the data that they published didn't actually support their conclusions. Sorry. Uh, I I read the report. I yeah. have, you know, different points of view about it. Um, <laughs> it's my view of, of all for one and one for all being two different things is I see the real opportunity of not having uh, a FAGMA or other, you know, group of companies trap, track, and trace everything I do. From when I change streaming services on my TV that my internet, you know, provider is watching to uh, attribution of tweets on Twitter. I could actually sign those. We could, we all could, but I mean, this gives us a Twitter era. has a bot problem. Maybe they want to do that. Yeah, they probably Sorry, do. That was a bad joke, but yes. <laughs> um, it, but it was. It's a, a, it's a real. It's a attribution is a real problem, and I, and right, I, you know, we're moving. I think we're. we're I, I've said for a long, long, long time that you know anonymity on the internet was fine when it wasn't the core commercial engine for doing business. Now that it is. Anonymity, the, the utility of anonymity is is greatly reduced um, for, right. for, for most transactions. Um, I, I, I completely listen, you know, as I yeah. said to someone yesterday who said to me, your fees are too high. I said, and how much of my brain do I give away daily or weekly or however often I tweet or post on LinkedIn or you know, Thinkers 360 or any other social media site where it gets scooped and reused by 52 other people who either claim it as their own or never say as originally said by. And I look oh, at yeah, that for, for, you know, very many things. However, Rich, you're not saying much. I'm, I am processing here. Um, this, I think we may be, well, I understand the excitement and I understand the importance of this. I, I think it comes back to the point where, you know, the, the design of this, as I say, right up front is the the primary motivation here is that it enables the controller of the DID to prove control over it without requiring right. permission from any other party. But in order to do many of the things that we've just been discussing, or you've just been discussing while I've been absorbing, um, you do have to rely on um a lot of other services, a lot of other sources. You're, you, you've, you've created a, at least one part of the foundation that allows for the, the kind of A, the self-sovereignty, and B, the provability. And that, <laughs> that's a big deal. I, I, I absolutely believe on that, uh, you know, to the bottom of my with the bottom of my, to the bottom of my heart that that's a big deal. Um, once again, there are it it gives me a a bit of pause about the other exposed surfaces and the the kind of the the interactions, the gateways that have to be built between an infrastructure relying on this kind of DID and um oh, self-sovereignty with respect to um data you know health data uh financial data things like that um i i think i start primarily before i jump too far into the 
its use with a with DAOs and and basically economic economic communities like that. I'm much more interested right now, short term, in its use in many of those cases that, yeah, we're still in Web 2, but um, the notion of being able to um, assert with no, no doubt that I am in contact with um, the individual or the organization that actually has control and actually has um, responsibility and accountability for whatever it is on the other side of that. That kind of accountability, well, tra trackability is what I, I see as being uh, probably the most interesting right up front. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. It's going to take a lot more time for me than we have right here um, for me to put put this together in a way that would make sense. What I'm trying to do is to take a, a, a current like Web2 workflow. Yeah. And show how this would be light years ahead in a Web3 world. Mm -hmm. But again, I always go back to the fundamental because to me, this is a pillar of moving Web3 forward in a way that's not 100% hype. Like, for example, you know, uh, one, of, one of my clients' interests is around, um, they have a sustainability goal. So they're partnering with a company that does digital business cards. Not that those are new, but the, the way that they do this has you know, a, a different spin. And I said to them, if you really want to make it in this world, because you're in such a competitive landscape, do it for avatars in Web3. Allow a person to actually be self-sovereign to the identity that they use in the metaverse, where, you know, my character one day can be, you know, um, a boomer and the next day a Gen Z or however I want to represent myself, but it all comes back to my basic identity that I am self-sovereign over and that I can change at will with the basic details, of course, being the same and verifiable, but that I can change that avatar without causing myself a lot of grief. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm trying to do things like either a workflow from web two that goes into web three or how it would be applied in a, in a commercial or economic way. And also why for something like things that are near and dear to my heart, which is prevention of child fraud, right? Where you have people who scoop the, um, mm -hmm. uh, we call it SIN, you call it social security number of a child who's just born. Oh. And go oh, and try and get a mortgage out of it. Yeah. There's a huge, yeah. huge fraud. Uh, there's a level of fraud that is beyond comprehension that goes on there. And the Canadian system is different because we don't get that number until we're 16 years of age but and able to work. But in the U.S., because it's at birth, it just opens up this whole kettle of fish. And I look at that alone and I say, if a parent can do a self-sovereign identification verification, they can combat this situation of child identity fraud. You know, things like that. There are really good reasons for it, but irrespective. Are you, are you tuned in or aware of any of the efforts that people are already involved with, you know, some form of DID? you know, different methods um, that seem to be running straight on at this spec. Is there anybody that's got this, even in a kind of a sandbox, anybody that's working on this that you're aware of that's being public about it? Um. Well, the, the the test suite, the 92 use cases are in the public domain. 
Right. The use cases. And the companies that were involved and the individuals that were involved are also part and parcel of that public domain information. Yeah. I, I guess I was asking a slightly different question. Who's, oh, sorry. Who's, who's not just, you know, being public about their participation. Is there anybody that's actually using this in a in a test bed prior to actually making use of it in a in general availability in a production fashion? Yeah, there's a couple of companies in the automotive industry. Uh, I can tell you that under the digital charter in Canada, there are four or five companies in Montreal and Toronto or Waterloo area that are working on using this. Okay. Okay. Like to identify an account holder, or identify a meter. I'm I'm super like I'm still. Yeah, what's being identified through. in most of these cases? Yeah. Any, any land title. Names? I'm sorry. Yeah, the oh. land registries. Ah, okay. good. And land so they're basically. Saying, okay, we have a registry of land titles in our system. We're giving a DID to each one. You can then pull records from it. I guess I'm, that, this is where I'm trying to understand where the use cases go. Well, I, I would love to focus on, on concrete use cases because that would help me. Because I keep coming back to, is this like SAML that I could use as a distributed auth system and then give people permissions, you know, from a SAML? I, I mean, SAML? I I can see it being used in um, kind of next generation, I'll call it next generation sensor networks. I mean, if you have, um, you know, using this as part of the, the industrial IOT kind of weights and measures, you know, being able to um, authenticate the identity um, and source of data coming off of a little wellhead in in a in, in a in a, in a uh, gas field or oil field. Um, well, that was okay. So, you can, so sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I yeah. just put the list of um, the use cases that are out there. Yeah, and mm -hmm. from a corporate perspective, so digital permanent resident card is looking at replacing Nexus, which I used to go across the border. Right. Uh, the Nexus program takes my fingerprints and allows me not to have to wait in line at customs and immigration. Right. Um, right. For land title, so public authority identity credentials, that would be land registry. Uh, correlation controlled services, similarly, because taxation for property taxes and things of that ilk. Um, Cross-platform user-driven sharing would be, why do you have to have... 10 cards in your wallet for your driver's license, your registration, your social security, your um, health information, whatever, you know, whether that's from an insurance company or a government service, why can't that be one shared credential? Because government is a big user of these kinds of capabilities, universities, sure. transferable skills. Right. I right. want to go from a college degree to a university degree in our world. Those are two different entities. They're not the same. So th those those kind of use case entities that I put in the chat um, have broad application across different industries. Mm -hmm. The answer mm -hmm. to your question is, I do know of one company that will be coming out with a product probably in the next six months it's a startup um which i heard of through someone else but think of um think of our discussion about teal yes each of those routings to the 190 different telecoms or mvnos that they're right. talking about right. each one could be a did that that i i Twig to that pretty quickly. Yes. Yeah. And so then when you're doing the, you know, um, non-visible transfer, you could actually record that in a way that doesn't necessarily 
uh, reveal which which MVNO it is or which telecom it is, because you could get people complaining about, well, it, it made the switch automatically and I don't like the switch that it made because they're not as secure as the previous. Part of it is record keeping, part of it is qualifying and uh, qualifying the service levels. So this is why I'm, you know, as I said, a little jazzed about it because there's so many opportunities to do things with it. Right. But there is a lot of real work yeah. going on that's not just by the participants in the group. Good. There's a, there's a lot of watchers. Um, you know, it's funny because um, um, who is it? Uh, Keith Townsend said, "What's the best job in in enterprise IT that gives you work life balance?" <laughs> he said, "Less yeah. least stressful, by the way, not best." <laughs> yeah, uh, or less stressful, right? But the best <laughs> job I ever had, um, and 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 the acronym is SAG. It's a special advisory group for um, innovation um, and emerging technologies. Um, and it was great because it combines corporate strategy with business strategy with technology strategy. And you do everything from due diligence on M&A to what's the, you know, the next big thing that you could actually use in a factory and then commercialize data from. So I, I loved it. But this is this is along those ilks of mass mm -hmm. um, applicability. Think of a I, use case which fits these things in. Yeah, that that's what that would be helpful to me because I'm I I I think I see these things, but I would love to get very concrete. I'll let's put it back on the I'll put it on the agenda for another um, sure. conversation. Rob, tied in, in for a wrap wrapping up also I know that we're running. Uh yeah, we're over time. But in terms of uh this is about operational technology, not just IT technology. Going back to something I saw you talking about a while ago, um, it's the, in terms of the use cases, it's about tracking the technologies that are in the, the floor equipment in manufacturing. It's the, the, in terms of the IoT devices at the edge, it's the, um, the electronics, it's the, um, It's the firmware. Yeah. Yeah. The firmware. It's all that's. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, and well, this is, this comes back to, I think, Joanne's first comment here, which was the composability of the systems, right? Because we deal with a lot of composability in systems. And so dealing with composability and supply chain with a bunch of DIDs in that mix is potentially uh, it's super interesting. So, it's a lot, so a lot of the electronics manufacturers. A lot of these issues it's really important. So going back to the, I think I said I was talking about S bombs. Like this is S bomb. It's not just the software companies that are. It's like the it's the product build materials that's being tracked. So in, there's it's a lot of, and in in terms of the use cases, the operational technologies, that's the huge footprint that people aren't talking about in terms of when we're talking about cloud, it's just not, there's the whole entire huge, larger aspect of things. And um, the, just in terms of this use cases, it's uh, a lot of these use cases are, you're looking at them, they're, There's, they're very, they're not what we're necessarily used to thinking of in terms of cloud and IT use cases. They're, this is much different. And so we don't always see the, that, see them actually happening. They're not visible to, to what we're doing. So, and so it's sometimes hard to track them and they're actually implementation. So, that's what, so in my surveys and what I've seen, it hasn't actually reached deployment level or implementation level. And it's, there's, all, there's been a lot of false starts, except for in um, the uh, DeFi 
and I don't really want to get into that right now, but that's one thing. Uh, well, the, the OT side is explicit at this point, um, because not only on the threat side, but on the uh, fraud prevention, on gray market, on the uh, qualification for quality assurance of piece parts and components, jelly beans in high tech, and how those transfer into areas like aerospace, defense, and automotive, which are the th top three customer chains of electronics manufacturing. Same thing with pharma. We wrap up, but I do want to go back because I, I think that I'm interested in how to use this idea in current implementations as a bridge. Yeah, I, I think that that's that would make it more pra pragmatic for me. But I, I you know, if, if it's an emerging spec, I think there's there should be ways that we can solve some SBOM issues here also. All right, everybody, I will talk to you soon. This was this was invigorating. Thank you. My mind feels stretched. I'm going to sign up. Take care. Bye, all. Wow, there's so much in these Web3 conversations for us to ponder and get right. We are coming back to these topics, both distributed IDs and the actual uh, implementations of Web3 tech. So come back, stay tuned. We want to have you participate and hear your voice in the Cloud 2030 discussions. And you can find the lists at the 2030.cloud. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.